This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. This episode contains spoilers from the book The Magicians with mentions of Buffy, Shadowhunters, Harry Potter, and Manacled. For full list, please see show notes. There are also conversations surrounding sexual assault. and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we are discussing The Magicians, book one in The Magicians trilogy by Lev Grossman. And we are starting off this episode with a story. Jessica Marie, (laughs) tell us a story. Um, okay, so we might have referenced this story back in our con epi- or con related episode about like all the different Comic Con conventions that we've gone to. Um, but this one is applicable to this book because, um, it deals with meeting the cast of the magicians. And even though, um, we are going to be talking about book one today, um, it was really the first time I had ever heard of it. Um, so, I'd say long story short, but it's going to be a long story anyway. Um, Laura and I were going to New York Comic Con one year. It was 2015. And the magicians had been picked up for a TV adaptation. And it was that particular New York Comic Con that they were promoting the project. So it was going to be out in the winter of that year. And we were going to go to the panel. Essentially, it was in this, it wasn't even like in a Hall H or one of the main halls. It was a like conference press room style like room. And it had initially started with Julie Pluck series Contagion. We wanted to go see that. It was on the CW. And then immediately before that panel, Laura had been following the one of the producers on the show, who's also a producer on Supernatural, Sarah Gamble, saying that she was going to be doing Comic-Con. We're doing all of our scheduling. And needless to say that the Magicians panel was right before Contagion. So Back in the day when you used to do conventions, um, you could kind of go to a hall early and then just set up shop. They didn't clear it out or anything. So that's what we did. We were like, oh, not only will we go early for Contagion, we'll also go and watch this magician show. Um, and it was something that wasn't even on my radar. Uh, Laura had said that she had read the series. She, she was, she wants to go check it out. And I said, sure. And, what an experience it was. Um, Laura will add into it, but it was one of those things where I had gone to the panel. Laura had exposed me to. They show us the trailer early before it had gone on out like on socials and it sold immediately. Didn't know anything else. But that, you know, minute and 52 second trailer they showed you and I was in. And the cast was so excited to be there. A lot of them, it was like kind of their first projects. They were just so happy. The producers were stoked to be there. They stayed. I got pictures with everybody. And the trailer is a really kind of good representation, I think, of the book, kind of the vibe. And 
It is similar. I'm saying this. The the series is similar enough to the book where you will confuse it if you do not treat them as like separate things. Yeah, and I think also what was really nice is even after doing this read, the show highlights a lot of things, but the you know, I think they're both it's as of right now, it's one of those things that the show is good on its own and the book is good on its own. So um, and, and we'll get into that more. But I think this also ties into things that we have said, Laura, about even though the common expression is never meet your idols, this ties into always, always meet them because this experience was so wonderful getting to interact with them even after the panel with the show that it made me want to support them when I had known nothing about the project. So like, you good people want to support good people. So like, why wouldn't I want to ex- like to support this exciting new thing that I knew nothing about before the the fantasy genre that I like reading it specifically. And now we can add this to your little tally mark of um, <laughs> magical school tropes, right? Check. We got another one here. Uh, the magicians. This book is our first male author on the podcast and we are aware of that we have we have we have things to say about that we will discuss that at the end of this episode because the book is a lot and we want to get through it and yeah yeah it feels like three different parts slash four different books in one and i i mean we read it the the audio version but the physical copy is 402 pages, which is like, it goes by so fast, but so much is happening in each section of the book. Interesting that you say that, too, because I remember the first time that I read this and I read this years ago. Like, I, I'm not like humble bragging on this. I don't know when, but it was years ago. I have the physical copy she <laughs> gave me before she moved to Germany. So I had went to my shelf and I was like, look what I found. Do you want it back? So I so it's it's been it's been a while. Uh Jess, this book has been described as Harry Potter for adults that didn't get their letter. It's been described as depressed Narnia. How 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 are we how are we feeling with the vibe of the magicians before we get into uh what this actually is? Um it is very Harry Potter Harry Potter. <laughs> meets Narnia um, with the insufferable version of Harry Potter and Manacled. I remember I was going to say, I was going to say that uh, when I read this a long time ago, the for the first time, I was shocked that five years of magical school, I guess, spoiler, uh, is not the entire book is not the entire series the the his uh everyone's magical schooling is wrapped up in the first like half of this book which i thought was fascinating and i remember when they graduated i was like where is this going to go yeah because you you would think the whole book was going to be five years and then of course it's a trilogy so you're gonna see kind of where like you said where the story goes but then a lot you don't get to see exactly what happens a lot it's a lot of like they were doing this thing next thing you know it was september of the following year 
they were doing this thing. They were doing really well. They ju- they skipped a grade. They jumped ahead another year. Uh, and so that sped things up a lot, too. I, I mean, I guess you don't want to read about people studying 24 hours a day. <laughs> I guess. And we keep saying they, they, they. Jess, who are these people? How could I forget the character breakdown? So um, there's lots of characters in this book. Some of our mains include Quentin. He is our male MC, um, who we're, we're getting everything in his POV. And I think that's important to note because um, it was a great reminder to me um, that Laura had brought up when we were discussing earlier in the episode, because there are certain things that I had uh, pro- like I had thought of in my head and she's like, you're not wrong. However, look at, you know, understand that you're thinking that because of this. Um, we also have Julia, who is Quentin's best friend. There is James, who's like barely in it, but is Julia's boyfriend at the time. We have Elliot. Uh, he is somebody who Quentin meets at Break Bills. We have Penny and Alice, who he also meets at Break break bills there's also janet who is at break bills we have dean fogg we have two um godlike people who uh ember and umber who are these entities in fillery which is a um i want to say fantasy fictional world but we quickly find out that it's not um and quentin wants nothing more than to live a life in this fantasy world that he ha- that has just consumed his entire being. And honestly, I think we can all agree that if it could be between the real world and this fantasy in a fantasy world that you love, you're going to pick that fantasy world every time. You are going to pick that fantasy world every time. And Quentin does, spoiler, uh, pick that fantasy world. But Quentin is such an interesting character and he's such a character that is easy to hate. He's so easy to hate. He's so irritating and annoying. However, his depression and his inability to um, like have love, accept love, be loved and experience happiness on his own, all, all of these things uh, is a very important thread throughout the TV show. I mean, spoiler, Jess has not finished the TV show. Spoiler, spoiler, (laughs) um, the TV show and also uh, the book series. So it is, while it is deeply irritating at times (laughs) to be in Quentin's POV and and have this, it is so important uh, to realize that you can be miserable anywhere. Oh, yeah. And one of the characters brings that to his attention when he's consistently self-sabotaging, too. He is. He is. Quentin is such an interesting character to be stuck in for uh, just you and I and and the podcast and the listeners. Um, so are those our characters or, or are we mentioning the Beast? Oh, the Beast is a character of his own and oh, a terrible. I mean, he's the Beast, but not and, and in such a, a terrible way in every sense of the word. I mean, he has his own chapter and and I guess you can do we say now who the beast is? Cause I mean, him and his sister. So the beast is simultaneously, um, Martin Chatwin, Chatwick, Chatwin, Chatwin, Chatwin. And he has his sister and there is an author 
who wrote the story of Fillory. Um, and I mean, if you're listening to this episode, you probably are joining us that Fillory actually happens to, um, as much as it's a fictional fantasy world, we come to find out that it's very real. And so we have these stories of Fillory because an author went there, um, along with some children and was the worst person ever towards one of the children. But say the author, Christopher Plover, didn't go. He didn't go. He wrote down what mm-hmm. happened in Fillory because Fillory is real. Yes. And he wrote down yeah. the adventures of the Chatwin children who would come and hang out at their house. Martin. Yeah. Well, there's a bunch. Yes. And yes, we'll get into all of that. My God. Uh, in case you are wondering, uh, Akafe Consistency Chapter 1 does pretty much check out <laughs> with the end of this book. Um, you can run away from all of your problems by uh, stepping into Fillory. That is uh, pretty much how the book ends and begins. Stepping into another world will solve all of your problems. So here we are. Here we are. Chapter one, Julia, James, Quentin. Quentin is doing magic in his pocket and no one notices this is just quentin's like this is his whole shtick yeah he he's somebody who no he's has a sleight of hand more or less if you saw him on the streets you think he'd think like oh he's really good at card tricks and card games um and it's kind of like in his head that he thinks he's better than he actually is to an extent because and then at the same time when he has um, when he, when it's kind of confirmed that he is really good and he's the top of his class, he has an inflated sense of ego, and it's constantly like, "I knew it wasn't it wasn't in my head. I knew it wasn't just me. See, I told you, I told you." And that I can kind of relate to. <laughs> for for real, for real. Okay, okay. So here he, here we are. Here we are. Quentin has. Quentin and his best friend James have an interview with a guy who does recommendations for Princeton. So they're walking down the street. Quentin's internal dialogue, I should be happy. This isn't real life. Real life is waiting for me. You know, uh, everything in life is anticlimactic. You know, when I get there after all that hard work, I don't want it anymore. All right. Perfect Quentin. That is Quentin exactly throughout the entire book. It is just infuriating. It is infuriating. It is infuriating. But, um, but, but, but it is in this interview where we have a dead man, where we have Jane Chapman. Hello, Jane Chapman right here. And we have our introduction to Fillory and Further, uh, five novels, children in the country. Uh, the villain is the Watcher Woman. There, we're dropping lore. There's Cozy Horses, Eclipses at Noon. Uh, and and in Fillory, this is chapter one. Happiness never leaves you. It calls when you come. It calls when you come. It. Oh no! In Fillory, happiness was always there to begin with. Chapter one. It is right there for us. Mm. Also, Jane Chapman is wearing a shirt with mismatched buttons. Nice little detail. Oh, the buttons. Yeah, chapter one. It's all here. How many times have you read this? Because I know you usually do your standard, like, two for the pod. But, like, since you first read it, how, like, is this a comfort read for it? Like, do you go back to this as, like, the way you go back to Shadowhunters? 
No, this isn't a comfort read. I don't go back to this a lot. I have read this probably like five-ish times, probably. Because okay. I, I read it, you know, my standard time here, but then I read it you know, before, before. And then right. I, I did read all through it before the show premiered. So there's all okay. of that, too. Oh, it's like when like Harry Potter would come out and you're like constantly reading them. Yeah, exactly. And as I said earlier, the show is close enough to the book where it has to be separate because if you watch the show already, there are deviations from the book in the show. So you would confuse them here um, because like the the man is dead. Yes, uh, Jane is there. She gives envelopes to Quentin and James. They have a big fight. It's all very different, but like the drink you drink, like that is all the same. You know, the dialogue is a little bit different. It's a little bit of the same. Uh, I think here is a good way to uh, point out that the author is a guy and we have a lot of emphasis on how hot Jane is as the ambulance worker and like boobs and, and lips and all of this stuff. Uh, the, the amount of gropable breasts that he wrote, I was like... I'm thinking of every single TikTok that we see that mock how how men write women. And I mean, there's never a question who the author is in this book. I mean, Quinn already has a ton of like, yes, he has mommy and daddy issues, but his mommy issues are screaming between the paramedic, who we now know is Jane, between every single one of his teachers. Like he he's he has a he is hot for teacher he is hot for everybody he's hot for his best friend knowing that it's not reciprocated oh yeah julia knows that uh quentin is in love with her and she is just like sitting with it she doesn't love him he knows that and it's kind of weird but like they've been friends forever because just as you said quentin is brilliant he's the top of his class he is the top of the top of his class he's like in the brilliant kids clicks his his math has been outsourced to to colleges it's it's a whole thing so it's kind of like but i am the chosen one it, it it's infuriating <laughs> it's infuriating but you know it is what it is it is what it is jane chatwin who we don't know who's Jane Chatwin, but who is, uh, gives Quentin and James the envelopes. James does not take his envelope. I wonder what would have happened, right? The path not taken. Quentin takes his. What is in his envelope? I'm already like, it's, I mean, he's, it essentially helps lead him to break bills. Exactly. It is Magician's Book Six, which Quentin's like, every good nerd knows there's only five books in Fillory. <laughs> Uh, but oh, then, we love a we love a self righteous fanboy. We love it. We love it. But then, exactly right, Jess. A note flies out and into the garden, and Quentin chases it. And there's a lot of uh, world building exposition about like dry gardens and how it's cold and winter, and how his phone is ringing, and it's the noise of New York, and how it slowly transitions into warmth and quiet and the forest, which. We're, we're probably going to do an episode on the show, but this translates into the show so wonderfully. And I love he and this is in, in, in this scene, he transitions from he is in Brooklyn to um, upstate New York. He's in like Hudson Valley area and he is he is now at break bills and he doesn't know this yet. He sees a person. That person is Elliot. We love Elliot. Elliot. We I mean, every single version of him. We love him. Um and he's the first thing that he asks is, is this Fillory? 
Like, it wasn't ever a doubt that it could be any other place. Like, he's like, this has to be Fillory. And I love that level of delusion. (laughs) I would be, if somebody was like, if I was like, is this Valaris? Is this Crescent City? Please. Oh, it's, it's just Hudson Valley. Never mind. Like, it was more believable for him to think he was in Fillory than getting to upstate New York. I think that was just really funny. I love this part, too, because there's uh, we're in Quentin's like POV. And when he says when he asks Elliot, like, is this Fillory? And Elliot's like, no, like, da, 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 da. Um, the line is like, and he didn't laugh. And that is something that I would appreciate later. Like he, Elliot, looked at Quentin coming through the forest like he, he like remembering it. He must be remembering his first, you know, like, what what are you thinking? Like, of course, you're going to say like. So it's it just shows, again, there is a level of kindness to Elliot that I think might get lost a little bit um, because Quentin is in a very vulnerable position right there. And Elliot could have just ripped him down. Right. Especially with the Elliot that we learn later in the book. But I also still feel like there's a line that he says in the beginning of the book. It says some people need their families to become who they're supposed to be. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there are other ways to do it, too. And that's at the very beginning. And again, it comes full circle with like there is a softness to Elliot um, that you see in little blips, but you always know is there. And it also contributes to the relationship that he has with Janet um, that translates into um, in, in this TV adaptation as well. Quentin sees Julia in the magical exam. Let's just call it what it is. And it fucks up Julia for the rest of her life. This exam. Uh, it is something that I would fail. Jess, would you pass this magical exam? <laughs> No, nobody even no. knew what the magical like the magical exam was. They, everybody's questions were different. Nobody knew what was being asked. They were just kind of like Penny was solving his in twenty minutes. Quentin was solving his in two and a half. None of it made sense. It was never supposed to make sense. No, nope. I think that was the whole thing. Yep, it is. Uh, there's a lot of talk about the test and how Quentin had to make up a fake language and like do all this translation. But yeah, you're right. Penny is there. He's got, he's the punk with the tattoos. It is as people uh, fail the exam, they're, they're like kind of poofed out of the room so that you don't notice that they're gone. So at the end, there's only 22 people. And then it's, and then it's like, all right, Dean Fogg's like, all right, magic's real. Hey, hey, hey. All right. We're going to another room, another room, have lunch. Okay, more more testing, more testing. This sounds exhausting. It's a bunch of like close-up magic and they have to identify exactly where Quentin is doing is doing the like unsanctioned magic, right? I'm using Harry Potter terms, like the unsanctioned magic. So like he's doing the coin tricks and it actually disappears. So once they confirm that he can actually do it, then it's like, "All right, on you go to more testing." Yeah, oh, yeah, because his like that testing teacher was like, "Again, I wrote down the name of the trick. It's called the Wandering Nickel. Uh, just, I just thought that was funny, Wandering Nickel. Uh, so uh, during this, there's just there's just a bunch of tests. There's like maps and there's chess and there's a lizard and there's nuts. Uh, but at the end of all of it, at the end of all of it, Dean Fogg comes in, kind of drunk, kind of sweaty. All of the <laughs> professors are there. Penny sneaks in. That's a detail that um is is not discussed later on. But Penny is in there watching Quentin's final exam. Here. Do you think it's weird 
Well, I mean, to a slight degree. So they have this test. Um, Penny is there. Julia is poofed out of it. He has one inkling that goes, oh, where's Julia? Guess she didn't pass anyway. Like, if that's your best friend and you're still like, sucks to suck. <laughs> but that is very much. It's very char- in character. Yeah. yeah, it's very in character. He's very self-absorbed, self-sabotaging, like tunnel vision, him, right? Like this is very him. So again, it is difficult to separate the show from the book in some instances because uh, Dean Fogg in my mind is the Dean Fogg from the show. And this testing is the testing from the show. This is Dean Fogg kind of like, show me some fucking magic, my guy. Like, I'm going to tear your fingers apart and put them in the positions. Like, I'm going to do all the shit. Like, show me the magic. And he's like screaming at him. Everyone's a little uncomfortable. He's like grabbing him, like, show me magic. And then Quentin's like, stop, stop, stop. And then we get the magic and the cards, all of that stuff. Um, I just want to say for the record now, uh, no, I didn't get my Hogwarts letter. Yes, it scarred me for life. No, I didn't get accepted into break bills. Yes, it fucked me up. <laughs> no, I didn't get accepted into break bills, the TV show, because they aged them up and they're in grad school there and it still fucked me up. So I just want to say all of that. If you didn't get like I, this book is made that if you didn't get into Hogwarts, Hogwarts you could still feel like you could possibly get into break bills. You had another option, maybe. I mean, at least for us in America. Yeah, like hope wasn't lost. That that that's how this book kind of like made me feel. But this feels like also like knowing how they would say like, oh, like the hand signing is similar to sign language. This book still feels like maybe it is a possibility. Like maybe, maybe, right? Oh my gosh. Go back uh, to undergrad. <laughs> yeah, go back to under. We could do it. We could do it. Uh, Quentin casts his first incantation to prove that he can actually do like real magic under duress. It's like a whole thing. It's studied. It's like well known, whatever. Uh, he throws the cards. It becomes like houses. He draws the sword out of the desk. Rah, whole thing. The faculty stands up, standing ovation. There is a discussion here in the background about how they might not meet quorum and how there just isn't like a lot of students and how they'll dig them out of wherever they have to dig them to uh, meet the standards that they need to meet classes. So that's going on in the background. Would you sign this contract? Yes. Yes, but I would also have some questions. That's why Penny was like, I got nothing else going on. I don't care what this says. I do appreciate the reluctancy that, and that just goes with me being an overthinker, um, that that Quentin had. Would you sign it, no questions asked, not even reading fine print? No, because Quentin has a passing thought of like, gee, I wonder how much this costs and it's just like never addressed again. Like, how much does it cost? What's tuition? Like, well, where are we talking? What are we doing? It's just, it's just one of those things. Um, I would absolutely read it. However, I would sign it. I, you know, it would have to be like really bad for me to not sign it. Yeah. And I, and I like how <laughs> Dean Fogg is like, you get that, like, this is in lieu of Harvard. We are also the Harvard of magic schools. So my only question, he's like, and, 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 and I do like the practicality of Quentin. He's like, okay, but then like, what happens when I graduate? Like, what do we, what, 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 what happens? Like, what are my, what's my sales pitch in the real world, more or less? And he's like, you're a magician. And in my head, I'm like, 
Oh, yeah, let me put that on my resume. Like, <laughs> magician. <laughs> but also, uh, you can use magic to make your resume, you know? it's like, Which but- is exactly what happens, and that's what Dean Fogg is, like, saying. Like, look, we're basically a magic Illuminati. We have connections everywhere. You will not have to worry about money. There's an Illuminati magic fund. And then we, and then you have some people who just want to keep studying and keep learning. And then they just add value back into like our magical society. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. Pretty nice. Uh, accepted. Obviously, Quentin accepts he's going to be a fucking magician is the line. Uh, will he find meaning here? Will he be happy? Uh, the answer is no, but we have to go through it first. Uh, his notebook that, um, Jane gave him is missing and he does not get it back until the very end. Here's the thing. Dean Fogg knows about Jane Chatwin. He knows who she is, what she's doing. He is aware of all of it. And I think that is important because we know that from the show, but like they're separate. These are separate things. So uh, they do not interact in this book, but he's like, oh yeah, well, she's just like freelance, whatever, like whatever, whatever, whatever. But, but they but he, he was also shocked that they could see her because mm-hmm. it was almost like he was expecting that she had some sort of glamour on her that she could not. They were like, oh, oh, that's interesting. You were able to see her that he wasn't. I feel like that threw him off. It's like, oh, hmm, yeah, she's freelance. She's freelance. OK, never mind. Are you you're here now? You can stay in your tower room. You don't have to go home, Quentin. That was one of his conditions. You can stay here. And then and Quentin was ha- like, that means I have to start now. I'm yeah. not, I'm not I, I know about this now. I'm staying, which, again, credit to him, him being Quentin, because he makes a comment also that he goes, if I blink and I how do I know I'm not going to come back? And he's like dead set. I'm like, if magic is real, if I'm going to be a magician, that means if this is real, that means Fillory could be real. Like, this is his train of thought. No way I'm stepping away from here now. Which makes sense. Like, wouldn't you just cling to this with everything you have? Like, absolutely. Every fiber. We talk about it when we first, like, when you first introduced me to, to the fantasy genre reading. Now here's an act, an opportunity presented itself. No questions. No questions. No questions. Oh, my gosh. So good. Then what follows is a lot of, like, really lovely campus, like, world building, right? Like, Quentin just, like, wanders around and he sees the house and he sees the maze and we just get all this, like, really lovely school stuff. And then he he wakes up one day and it's, like, the first day of school and then he's in class. Uh, and this is where we meet Alice. And Alice in class is able to do real magic with a marble after Quentin uh, successfully does a bunch of like really fantastic uh, close up magic tricks. But it was just like not the point, Quentin, like not the point at magic school. No, but, you know, and this is also Quentin is so used to being at the top of his class and everything he does and everything that he learns Um to the point that he's almost bored in the quote unquote real world. So now, and that's also, that's something that Dean Fogg tells him. He's like, you're used to being the best of the best out there with like your mundane classmates. You are here and everybody's the best of the best. So in a way there is a level of competitive, like, you know, like friendly competition. Um, to push it, to push and give you some drive and like what your talents and skills actually are. 
And there's only like 99 students in total in break bills. So it's very small classes. Like everybody, yeah, everybody's like kind of in an everybody's Each year shit. has like 20 yeah. to 22. Yeah. Yeah. Very small. Yeah. Very small. So uh, this 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 glass marble kind of is showing us what lessons are like at break bills, what the structure is, like professors are lecturing and they're asking you to do like practical applications, like poppers, all, all of the all of the all of this stuff, all of this stuff. Uh, Quentin also just like wanders around and he finds the vineyard, which is important later. And he finds the Belters field, which is also important later. And. Also, I'm going to say it now before I forget the connections that were made between the fountains, the the fountains being the at Breakbills first, Breakbills being built around the fountains, the fountains and their squares mirroring a Belters match, a Belters match being a magician's game. There is all of that is important and interesting, and I need to say it now so it's out of my head. <laughs> Moving on, uh, Jess, you mentioned that Alice, Penny, and Quentin move up a year and they go to a special room to study. Would you like to do this? I always, I'm a nerd. I like to study. I mean, this is, um, but I like the collaborative effort that they have. It was, I mean, if they were already feeling elite before, they're even more so now um, because, I mean, timeline wise, this is like their freshman year at break bills specifically um specifically uh quentin and penny and alice is wrapped in with them be she just got to test earlier because she had tr- like trekked her way to find this magic school because she knew her brother had gone there and she didn't get a letter and she was like fuck that like I need to be a student I want to go there I deserve to go there um, why the hell didn't I get my letter letter um, but she tested in and they and basically the three of them were all they were the best of the best before they're the best of the best now to the point that they were offered to jump ahead to year two their sophomore year um only a couple weeks into their freshman year, the only caveat was that they still had to test out of their first year classes. So that was basically all their, their little quorum of three um, were studying late nights, um, test like they were just consumed uh, to get to to pass their first year test um, at all hours of the night. And they worked together to get to that um, so that way they can test out of year one and start year two and like essentially is like second semester. And there's a mirror in that room that is uh, spelled to like reflect what you're doing and everything. And sometimes it shows you a hill that looks kind of familiar to Quentin. It's fucking Ember's tomb. It's Ember's tomb from Fillory. It's right there. It's right here. It's right. Why is this mirror showing them Ember's tomb? It's not answered, but that is what it is. This is also the moment where it's like, Quentin starts to be like, why are we doing this? Like, why are we killing ourselves with all of this work? Like, what is the point to this? And and Penny and Alice are like, power, obviously. <laughs> and this is where Quentin starts to get unhappy. And this is where I really start to lose it with Quentin. Because, like, just suck it up. You're in fucking magic school. Like, shut the fuck up. Um, but he, he does start to really... Uh, s- s- downward spiral into his depression here. Um, and... And again, we have 
we have unnecessarily, I think, in my opinion, um, this this scene of Elliot in in the tower doing role play. I don't understand why the scene is necessary. Why why Quentin is watching this scene? It's like I don't. I, I just I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't. I don't understand. There's a lot of things that I, there's there's a. I don't know if it's just one of those critiques we have because of the writer. Yeah. Like, it doesn't add to it. It doesn't add to it, especially because they have Elliot and Quentin end up having such a, like, lovely relationship. So that like, yes. this is not needed, I guess. It might be a way for for Quentin to, like, pine after Elliot in a way because he's like, hmm, I wonder why he didn't pick me. I'm right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that also goes with his ego. ego. I, think that, I think that was an ego thing. It wasn't a... Um, Oh, like I'm pining for Elliot. I thought it was a just like a I'm a guy. Why doesn't he like me? Like, my God, that doesn't that's not that's not how this works. Yeah, it's it's not. It's not how this works. Mm. But again, again, uh, back in that study room, Penny, Penny does not go on the walk with Quentin. And this ends up being such a huge sticking point for Penny. He ends up punching Quentin in the face over it. Um, But Quentin and Alice go on a walk. And this is where she tells him, just as you said, everything about her brother and how she took the test and everything. And this is, again, Quentin is unhappy. All three of them end up taking their exams. And Quentin is like, this is anticlimactic. I did all that work for nothing. I don't feel anything. He passes. Alice passes. Penny doesn't pass he doesn't pass and does he and please keep me honest because it could be because i didn't take a step out of uh quentin's point of view that when penny does eventually pass the first thing he does is punch quentin and it feels like why are you punching him when he he's not the reason you didn't pass but penny feels that way yeah, he feels uh, like left out of the group. And like, he was like, I thought we were friends. Like, you don't like you didn't take me. It's just men don't communicate. Men, men would do anything except go to therapy. <laughs> well, I mean, the whole book, the whole book, the whole book, the whole book, the whole book. Um, someone who really probably should be in therapy, but whose life is ruined is Julia. And after the exams, Quentin goes home, right? And he meets James and Julia for the first time since he went to break bills. And Julia is totally different. She's like chain smoking. And it's like really hard for him to to see how like low she's gotten. And it's like, okay, okay. Um, but we also have a little exposition on on Fillory that we get. And it's uh, it's like, why couldn't they stay in Fillory? Which is, again, a theme that we have throughout the whole book, like running to Fillory will solve all of your problems. Why couldn't the Chatwins stay in Fillory? Why couldn't they all, why couldn't they, um, why did they get kicked out? Like the gods, why did they kick them out all the time? Uh, you know, Martin, Martin, he really, he beat the system. He beat the system. He never, re- never returned. He's got the buttons, right? Buttons, buttons. All interesting shit. Uh, it's, it's, it is all like constant little drops of fillery that by the time spoiler we get to fillery, it <laughs> is like we we do know the rules of fillery. So I appreciate this uh, world building in a way that was not obvious to me the first time I read this. I think also to add to what you said regarding Julia, because it will come up later in the episode, is that once everybody's poofed out of magic school, that 
that Quentin and everybody else who's at Rake Bills, they're under the impression that anybody who has left, um, their memory has been wiped. So even though Julie has taken this test with him, he's seeing her for the first time and can't bring up where he's been or what he's been doing. And he's under the impression that she doesn't know what he's been up to either. Yeah. Yeah. And and it is it is frustrating because uh, the memory charms are done by the professors. So they're supposed to be like top notch. So the fact that Julia does remember is a testament to a lot of things. And it is that is explained. I'm not going to use the show explanation, but that is explained uh, kind of a little bit later on by Jane at the end of the book, like why everything kind of shook out the way that it did with Julia. And it, it's just like really sad. And that was one of the questions that I was going to ask at the panel uh, when we were there, just when they were taking questions was like, is Julia's story going to be as sad as it is in the books? And like the answer it was yes. Is. Yeah. <laughs> The answer was yes. I think Sarah's answer was like, unfortunately, or, or it was something like, yeah, we said we told her it was going to be very dark. Like it is, you know, but it is, it is. Would you? Um, I, I'll say this vague because it's not completely fleshed out in this book. If if you were Julia and you knew all this stuff and even after the attempt of wiping your memory and it still stuck with you, would you have gone to the lengths Julia has gone to, to, to access magic? Probably, probably a glimpse behind the veil, right? Like how can, how could you ever, how could you ever? Now now you know this, what do you just do? What do you do? You're just supposed to like order your Starbucks mobile app. Like, yeah. Like any old day. (laughs) No, then you you need to 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 prove it, right? To prove it, ex- and then and then yeah. So yeah, yeah. Wow, a lot a lot in common with Julia. A lot in common with Julia. Uh, we mentioned the fight Penny has when he fails his exams and he punches Quentin. It's a big one. You're not supposed to fight at break bills because if you use magic, it's supposed to be very scary. Quentin wakes up in the infirmary. Jane is there. Hi, Jane. Jane has been there the entire time. Yeah, Jane's like, hey, yeah, I just like to pop in here, see what's up, see what's going on, right? And uh, Quentin's like, I lost the book. I I lost the book. And Jane is like, you'll find it again when you're ready. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Uh, You know, very interesting. And this is when Fog comes back and he's like, look, look, look. Um, You cannot use magic when you fight. It is very dangerous when you are like using big spells and like emotions like that. You can turn into a Niffin. A Niffin. We have our warning about our Niffin right here. Uh, a Niffin eventually is what Alice turns into and what her brother also turned into. So interesting, interesting, interesting. The exception with Alice is that she knew going into it, she like a- was actively aware that she would turn into a Niffin where. Here And it's one of the things that also Dean Fogg said, where he was almost like proud of the way him and Penny fought because magic wasn't really involved. It was just like punching, you know, just throwing fists and stuff. Um, He was like, you know what? I will say I'm very proud that you didn't like resort to magic. But because Alice is the the actual best of the best, of course, she knew this knowledge like she is their Hermione. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Which is proven again 
when she harnesses the sun to burn through the door of the physical kid's cottage six months later to get into their discipline. Uh, they are the physical kids and they have to break down the door. That is tradition. And there is a big dinner waiting for them. The physical kids being Josh, Elliot, Janet, Alice, Quentin, and Richard, who is alluded to, but who we do not see until later in the book. Um, Quentin's discipline, we do get like a lot, like a lot of pages about Quentin going through what his discipline could be. And he's undetermined. He has like those sparks at the end. The house of the physical kids is usually where if you don't know right off the bat what your discipline is, um, that's kind of where you're, you're kind of dumped onto in a way. Um, because Penny does, it has a very, such a niche, zero one percent discipline where they created his own curriculum um so we don't see penny for a while because he was like i'm learning all these things and then i realized i can't learn anything from here nothing can be taught i i gotta go my own way and he leaves for a while <laughs> i know i was singing, i see you singing it um he he goes out into the world to start making discoveries and adding to his own curriculum because he realizes everything that he needs to know isn't going to be taught at break bills. So we don't see him for like a good chunk of this book at this point. And we find out where he is later on. But I like that I can put in my notes class montages, learning about the maze, hanging out, uh, Bixby is a pixie learning all of these things about break bills because that is really it's just pages and pages of like college life that you can kind of like is important and builds the world but like doesn't add to the plot necessarily like kind of but not necessarily what does add to the plot is exactly what happens with Professor March and Quentin and the introduction to our villain uh, this was scary reading it. It was scary watching it. It's still scary reading it. This this would be horrifying. Yeah, absolutely. Because even if you just even if you watch the trailer, that mo that scene is in it, and I was still just as scared. Because I mean, aside from like, okay, music you know adds to media and cinema, the fact that everything's being described as a moment where. Everybody is standing still. You are actively aware of what is happening in your surroundings. So you're thinking, did time stand still? Time didn't stand still, but there is everybody is in a, a form of paralysis. This random beast, and it's almost creepier. It's almost like the, <laughs> this is going to be funny. You'll get this. It's like the one episode of Buffy where they're all in the suits and they're floating down the street. That's what this is, right? So, <laughs> and I know you love that reference for this. Um, but so you have this man in this, in this suit. You don't see what his face is and he is approaching people and you're just like, what is going on? Something is fucked up and everybody, and it's not, it's not in your head. Everybody is very much aware, everybody, because we're in a classroom setting that they have no control of what's going on right now. And what does this mean? Yeah. And what does this mean? Because this man who in the book just wears a branch over his face. So his face is obscured and he just like 
comes through and is behind the professor and just starts like walking around, like just walking around. And it is hours, right? Like it is so long uh, that everyone is paralyzed for that it is a shock to everybody when Amanda Erloff, whose parents were in the military, Amanda Erloff, her voice like breaks through, right? And she starts chanting. Um, she was the only one that was strong enough to break through the beast enchantment, which is is so interesting. Like how, what was her magic proficiency that she could do that when Quentin and Alice were there too? Like, and we know how strong of spellcasters that they are. It's just, it's just, you know, interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, but the the beast, we find out later, ate Amanda alive. And that is why her voice got like thinner and thinner and thinner. Um, all of this happens. And Jess, you and I talked about it earlier, like, Quentin takes responsibility for this moment because he was playing a prank on the professor. Um, he like shifted the podium, right? And he's like, that's the reason. That's that's the reason why. Um, but but Alice says that he dropped a syllable in his spell making, and that's the reason that like caught the beast's attention. That's when he came through. It was Professor March. And Quentin carries the guilt over this moment for like most of the rest of the book. And it's just like, my guy, this had like nothing to do with you. No, but like I like even until up until we were about to record, it was in my head that it was like it was him. Yeah, it's not. It takes a woman saying what an idiot. The professor dropped the <laughs> syllable. That is the reason. And and Quentin's like, no, it's because I made the the podium wobble. No, my guy, the professor was like doing magic. Like, come on, this is not. It's not all about you. But again, that's Quentin's like self inflated ego. That's like all of this talking, right? Everything has to be for and about him in all moments. Um, and the beast doesn't give a shit about him here right like it, it it's nothing it, he does you know whatever he the beast ends up singing a little song doing a little dance and then he vanishes like he was never there it's fucking terrifying yeah that song and dance like that's even that's creepy that will keep give you goosebumps yeah, absolutely. And it comes out later, like Dean Fogg had like summoned everybody and he tried everything that he could to get through. And what we get from all of this is Dean Fogg standing in front of everybody saying like, all right, like we know that other worlds exist. We will never go there. Like we're not going to go there. But, but like- it took this happening to admit it, which is so interesting because the other part of it is also like, why are we hiding it? We, a lot of us just found out that magic is real. So like other worlds existing make just as much sense. Yep. He does say that the beast was like looking for something. So that's important just to like what we, for the story. What follows is essentially a welters, belters, welters montage uh, because we have to get morale up. So we learn through all of this, the game, not really, uh, we learn that Josh's magic is unreliable. That's really the point of of the game is to prove that uh, Josh can access his magic, but it is unreliable for him and they lose the final match. <laughs> this is my, it's, you know, it is the same way that I care about Quidditch in Harry Potter, which is just <laughs> not at all. So like, you know, 
It is. It is what it is. It is what it is. But they're in their fourth year now. Like we are moving along. We're moving so fast. And fourth year is a very elusive year because it's the year that everybody hears that groups of students uh, disappear and all of a sudden they come back looking emaciated and nobody knows why there's rumors and then there's there, there's a couple sets of rumors one of them being that they're like oh fourth year is just everybody slacking and on vacation which you're like if only you guys wish um but it winds up being that they go off with professor mayakovsky um and they a, a big part of it is them going to like break bills university southern campus but super southern down in antarctica yeah down in antarctica so they all transformed into geese and are thrown off the roof very fun and this is where quentin experiences like peace and satisfaction like as a goose because his like baser functions are just like narrow narrowed down to like goose functions and they they do they fly south to antarctica they're 500 miles from the south pole and they are in breakbill south with professor mayakovsky uh in complete white in complete silence uh, to internalize magic and i do like professor mayakovsky and i like his like uh approach to this um because the way that he lectures that everybody he's like when a magician and this this is um exactly mirrored at the end of the book the like last fucking line when a magician wishes to fly he simply does because you have internalized all of the magic. You do not have to think about the conditions and this and the water and the moon and all of this. You simply know and you simply do. And it is, uh, it takes Quentin this isolation period and then another isolation period in Fillory to actually like accomplish that. But this first one, man, is really, really fucking intense. Um, I like the little throwaway line here of Mayakovsky is like, I heard that you're good with your hands, Quentin. Can you show me? And and Quentin does like a trick with the knife. And Mayakovsky comes in and like catches the knife with the bread. And he's like, you're, you're taking stupid risks with your hands. Because, you know, you cast with your hands, which again is mirrored when Penny loses his hands. So it like sets the importance of hands here. It's just like a little throwaway line. Oh, see, I liked the... See, I didn't think that... I thought the good line was when he had put everybody on like the the silence so no even if they tried to talk that they didn't so they were conditioned not to and then when he had given everybody he goes why aren't you guys talking i lifted that ages ago and i liked that because it was i don't know i liked that he was like why aren't you try it was another like why aren't you trying harder where was where was that before yeah, where's the push? Where's the, where is it? Where is it? Where's the fire? Yeah, yeah. So basically, they're at Brinkfield South for a long, like a whole semester. Yeah. Uh, there, there's orgies, right? They turn into, <laughs> they turn into foxes. They have sex. They, Quentin and Alice have sex as uh, Arctic foxes. The first time they have sex is as Arctic foxes. Or I guess, yep. I don't know if Arctic foxes are down in Antarctica. I know they're like north. But they are foxes. They're Antarctica foxes. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, 
then so essentially it's just a lot of quiet and like internalizing of spell work uh, and then it is the final exam alice and quentin are the only ones to do it you have to trek to to the pole 500 miles naked uh with only like fat that you can carry but before that alice is like hey quentin do you love me and Quentin cannot answer her. And he says, like, I don't know. And she's like, yeah, I didn't think so. I just wanted to, like, check before we do this really dangerous thing. Yeah, and she's like, it could be f-. And I like that there was a a point to note that she was like, it could just be fun. There is nothing wrong with having fun. But, you know, Quentin in his mind carries the weight of the world on his shoulders. The only thing that he can admit is he knew that he loved julia um but how he feels for alice isn't how he felt for julia so that is kind of what's making him question if the feelings he has for alice are indeed love because they don't mirror the same way yeah they don't at all and i'm glad you brought up julia because we're gonna see her because quentin passes he passes his exam. It took him nine days to get to the to to the poll to Mayakovsky. Um, Alice is the only other person that went. She also passed, but she did it like way faster. Of course she did. Of course, of course she did. She did. Can that. we also bring up the fact that this last final exam was optional? And I don't think the two of them realized that because everybody else was sitting pretty at their house. Yeah, they're like, nah. But, uh, I think Quentin says like he just again his ego he just needed to know if he could do it again he just ego 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 um but Quentin has to go home it's the end of the semester so he goes home his parents have moved to Boston what does he do he uh goes on a fillery binge and we you know read about um the magical buttons how the girls got the magical buttons from the bunnies the questing beast the questing beast uh, ember umber uh what what is that um yeah. Oh, and the Wandering Dune. They mentioned the Wandering Dune a lot uh, in in this first book, but it is here in Boston where Julia finds Quentin, and this is where it's just like she can kind of do magic, like she can kind of do the prismatic spell, but like it is the faintest of things that makes her. You like? I feel like even Quentin was like, Julia, you're going, you're going a little kooky. <laughs> she's like see i knew i can i can show magic can you tell somebody i can just like in in my hand in my hand please anybody i deserve to be there yeah she's like tell them about me please tell them about me like i i remember they couldn't take it away from me like it's just it's so bad and quentin feels like shame right and he's like julia like and he's also saying like if i say something they're definitely going to take it away because you're not supposed to know about any of this anyway. And she's like, they did. They tried to ch- take it away. And I'm still and I'm still going strong. I mean, ugh. I mean, and her journey is very sad. I, at least I'm only speaking from the journey that I'm aware of, uh, not completely in this book. It is it is it is just very sad in general. Uh, but then Quentin can't stand it at home he comes back and we have a very nice like summer at the cottage right it's a bunch of like sex it's a bunch of uh, this is he comes back and it's basically him and alice are making it official yeah it's 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 a bunch yeah her love was real like you know alice fixed him in reality she's she is like the beacon um you know the women he he has now latched onto alice to fix him and make him happy it's because yeah. break bills wasn't doing it because he was getting bogged down by the work now it's alice then it you know he's looking for external validation from everywhere but 
the internal validation that he needs from himself. But what I like about him coming to the cottage um, in the middle of summer, I think everybody's already there. Everybody is already saying like, oh, you lasted longer than every all of us. Like most of us just don't last 48 hours back in the quote unquote real world. Um because he, Quentin also has a di- inner dialogue of saying, like, him kind of releasing Julia in a way and his family and him kind of latching on to Alice is his way of saying, like, this is truly my new life. This is this is my real world now. I'm leaving my my past and my old life behind me. Absolutely. Which is actually, I think, a really good transition into the story that Janet tells about Emily Greenstreet. And that is Jan, or that is Alice's brother too. So in this, in this summer, I think it's important to mention too that Josh, Elliot, and Janet have graduated. So this is their last summer, like all together. So they will be moving on. Um, so while they are here, we have this story that Janet tells about Emily Greenstreet being the first person to voluntarily leave break bills in 150 years. Essentially, she had an affair with Mayakovsky. She got really into it. He called it off. She got another boyfriend that was like way too into her. And she had a magical pen pal through the fountains because the fountains are a little sinister who gave her a spell to blow her face off. <sighs> she does. Boyfriend tries to fix it. Boyfriend being Alice's brother. He dies, turns into a niffin. Mayakovsky fixes Emily's face. Mayakovsky gets banished to break Bill South. Emily gets banished, quote, quote, to a uh, mundane office life. Is that is that about it? Yeah. 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 Looking, yeah, but the only, I think the yep. only I thought the reason that Mayakovsky was banished to break Bill's South wasn't because he was trying to fix it. It was because of the affair. He had two choices. It was like, yeah, teach this other place or something. Like, it had more to do with his affair with a student. Yeah, absolutely. That was exactly it. And also the fountains, again, the, the reflections at Wolf Fountain are off. So that's, again, the fountains are a little bit sinister. So we have this story. And Alice is like, why did she tell that story? Like, Janet knew she was trying to hurt me. So again, I don't like, again, how this man wrote these women. Um, like, she was trying to hurt me. Um, you know, it all fits. We were told it was a car crash. Like, that's why I didn't come. You know, Janet is just jealous because she's in love with Elliot. And and this is when Quentin's like, wait, what? What? Yeah. And she wants what she can't. Ha- I mean, there's a lot of, I don't want to say female betrayal, but there is definitely female cattiness written in this book. And also that women can't have relationships outside of, like, men. Yeah. But again, author. Yeah. Here we are in fifth year. We are in fifth year now. And Quentin's internal monologue or internal dialogue says that um, love to Alice, like loving Alice isn't effortless anymore. He has to like try. So again, he's not able to cling to his love for Alice anymore. He needs to like latch on to something else now. So, all right, here we go. Here we go. What is the something else? It is definitely, definitely not the new physical kids who Alice and Quentin have just like nothing to do with, nor is it Alice's parents. Jess, what do you think about this visit? It's okay. So a trope that we know that I learned to 
have loved in the last year is um, when you have like a bad relationship with your parents or your family and then the significant other in the story um, just stands up for you for them or whatever. And there's a line right when uh, Alice is saying, can you meet my parents? And he's like, he was already like standoffish about it. And he's like, well, do you, do you want me to? I thought you didn't want me to be part of your life like that. She's saying, yes, I want you to. Like, of course I do. And then he's like, okay, I'll go meet them, whatever. I mean, meanwhile, they've been together for like a year and a half at this point. And she's like, do you promise to hate them as much as I do? And he goes like, yes, I promise. I'll probably hate them more, which is like nice. But then like, of course, because of the the tumultuous relationship that Alice has with her parents, she's also very protective and defensive of them. Um, and Quentin is just kind of like judging them the entire time. And Alice is like, you don't know what it's like growing up in a magical family. Like my mom is magical. My dad is magical. Like this is, this is life. You don't have any healthy or even like unhealthy. You don't have any relationships with people of magic um, aside from our professors. So like, who are you to judge? And also though, uh, she says like, it is hard to find purpose when you have a magical life like this. So, like, of course, my dad is changing the house all the time. He's, it's just, like, fucking aimless. My mom does all this research for fuck all nothing. Like, there's no point. What is the point to any of this? And then she's like, promise we'll never end up like them. Promise, like, we'll have meaning. Um, and, of course, that never happens. Like, they, it, it just ends terribly and tragically. But he does promise, of course. He's like, of course, I would have promised her anything in that moment. Um you know, but then he like, ugh. I almost like want to jump right to like post-graduation because this contributes to Quentin's actions post-graduation to try to find like any sort of va- validation in his actions and in his choices of, well, I promised her our relationship wasn't going to be like this. So I changed it up and cheated on her. Like, she should have, life is so much more than the same. Like, what? Why are you gaslighting this whole situation? And it's not even like a a, a long jump to get there. We'll be, we'll be there so soon. Because what follows is basically just like senioritis. And Quentin says, like, everything at Break Bills is lame. Uh, you know, everything has stupid names. Like, this wasn't fillery. It couldn't make him happy. Uh, he can't really go to the moon for his thesis. Alice oh, he can't fucks up really. His, oh, he fucks up his thesis. And then, like, what was it? Alice started giving him, like, little nicknames, but, like, to encourage him, like, hey, moon man, hey, this, hey, that. And then he said her saying that started to feel like a mockery because he didn't care in his thesis anymore. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was bad. So he, he starts talking about like, is there a spell for happiness? Like he's really starting to get depressed. But then we're at graduation dinner. At graduation dinner, uh, Fogg says, you must drink every single bottle of this piss ass wine from our vineyard. The vineyard that Quentin's like, oh, I know what that, that is. I know what that is. Uh, was not expecting demons in the back here. Were you? No, no. But, but at the same time, it's like, talking it through it was like why didn't we expect demons i really like fog's lecture that he gives everybody down in the basement where they're past the the barrier wards where he can call the demons the protection demons to put them in all the students backs as they're like graduation present he's like you know um why do you think we can do magic like why do you think we can do it and like other people can't 
Um, you know, like, can you ever really like grow up if you can use magic? You know, like, is it a, is it a tool? Is it a flaw? Uh, it's because you're unhappy. You are unhappy and you have turned this unhappiness into this ability to tap into this power, right? And you can break the world now because your pain and unhappiness was so strong. And that's why you're able to use magic. I, I like that fog gives it kind of a little bit of um, like a little bit of context for people um, because Quentin is so depressed. Like Julia is so unhappy. Like everybody has some, like a deep unhappiness within them. So again, we, we never got our Hogwarts letter again. We didn't, we didn't get into all of this stuff. So again, it's like, Oh, I, I guess I can be unhappy and still go to magic school. Like it could still happen. Right. Like, because my pain is useful for something. Like I could get something from all of this unhappiness. So again, a little like sliver of hope there that I, I like what fog does there. I, I wouldn't want a demon in my back. It sounds terrible. Yeah. And, and again, jumping forward here, it's something that Alice has and Quentin goes, how does it feel to let, like, let it loose in that moment? And she was like, oh my gosh, what a relief that it wasn't just like, like an anchor on her. Yep. Yep. Uh, a relief is not what Quentin feels on actual graduation day. He feels unhappy. Um, he feels empty and he's feeling just like not together. He's not himself. He is unable to feel any sort of joy. And he says he wouldn't feel this way if he were in Fillory. Yeah, you would, buddy. Yeah, You're the problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's and but this is this goes with what you had said earlier. And I, now I can't remember if it was before we recorded or if it is recording of every finding the external validation in everybody else everybody else he's like if it's not julia if it's he's at break bills he found magic he's a magician it's not alice at, at what point do you start but he's also aware so it's like at what point do you start saying like maybe i need to start with me it's well, not it this point <laughs> it's not it's not this it's point, not this point. <laughs> No, because at this point, Josh, Janet, Elliot, and Stranger, who turns out to be Richard, shows up at graduation and says, we're here to take you away from it all. We're here to take you to Manhattan. And what happens is they are, they spend, they, everybody spends two months in Manhattan. So now Quentin is 21 and they are, every single one of them is listless, purposeless. Everybody is out of love with each other. There is nothing to do. Everything is terrible. And this, all of this, this dinner party, this dinner party, just, just, you just, you just take this away. Okay. So Quentin and Alice are living together in Tribeca. We, everybody's like living in Manhattan, but not co-optly living together more or less. And we also have Elliot who comes by to be like, Hey guys, what's up? Is Alice coming? Quentin's like, uh, babe, you coming? She's like, no. Maybe later, whatever. So, and during this time, we're constantly having inner dialogues from Quentin, just not being happy with Alice. Like he, this continues. Now he's just kind of going through the motions of being in this relationship with her, but he's not happy in the relationship with her. They, we flash forward to the dinner party. 
People are there. Alice shows up. She looks really good. Ah, and let me tell you first, like Alice shows up to the party. He's like, oh, she looks so pretty. Blah, blah, blah. Love it. Then Janet shows up and I have to force myself not to say Margot. And he's like, oh, my gosh, Janet looks stunning. Alice would never wear anything like that. She doesn't have the body for it. Was like I was screaming that I was continuing. If we weren't doing this podcast episode, it's just another moment where I would have put this this book down because gross on the author. Like, how fucking dare you? Um, I'm very protective over that. So anyway, he's like, but Janet looks so good. Um, and continuous inner dialogue of he's like, I'm going to be taking that off her later. He's already has it in his mind that he's going to fuck Janet that night. Oh, absolutely. And they do, obviously, they do do that and they get completely smashed. Uh, we also meet Anais and, you know, that's very fun. There's a nice philosophical debate with Richard, also very fun about uh, God and makers and tools and magic. It's all great. Oh, and, and even like, okay, prior to this, uh, like, Alice is very much a part of these conversations. He's even like, she is such a good debater. Like, this is her bread and butter. This is her shit. And she's so good at it. But he, but, but at this point, like, Quinn is already like going through the motions of being in a relationship with, with, um, with Alice, but not actually in the relationship. Oh, he's completely checked out. A thousand percent checked out. And he's like, yeah, I knew, I knew for like the past 20 minutes that I would take that dress off Janet. And so Janet, Elliot, and Quentin have a three way. And Alice is actually on the bed, uh, when Quentin wakes up for the first time. And Quentin is not like fully aware if that's real or not, but if it was, I respect that. It wasn't like a, like, you can't get out of this one, mister. Like, it's not what it looks like. Please. Please tell me what this looks like then. What does it look like when Penny shows up? Because he shows up the next morning when everybody's hungover and dealing with shame and regret. It's like, Penny, I'm here with an adventure. Penny is like reading the room, but not so well. He's like, basically, is just like, you guys, I know we we graduated from magic school. Oh, and this is the part where Penny shows up. He's saying basically everything we talked about earlier in the episode where he's like, this is where I've been the whole time. BT dubs. Fillory is real. Fillory is an actual place. I can't bring people. I I don't know how to, you know, here's all the things I can't do, but we can try. Yeah, but we can try. Um, He says, Penny, he says that he found the button. He bought it off of Love Lady uh, because uh, Penny was trying to do his own uh, Break Bill South in Maine and he got lonely. So he got into town. He ran into Love Lady, you know, on and on. Love Lady found the buttons in England. Uh, he tried to take them to Break Bills, but Break Bills wouldn't let him in and bad shit is happening. So now Penny has the buttons and the buttons uh, were in a chest from uh, the Wandering Dune from the book. And um, they take them, the button takes everybody to the Netherlands. Now, the netherworld, Penny, I like the description of Penny being like a really excited tour guide to to the world because he's never had anybody to show before because Penny's abilities, and this kind of speaks to the abilities of Elliot and Josh and Janet and, and Richard and all of them, 
um, Penny's teachers were not able to go with him and use the buttons. They were never able to like really manage the spells and to really handle what was going on. So it speaks to the power level of everybody here that, uh, spoiler, they're all able to go and use the buttons um, <laughs> easily, except for Janet, who gets sick. Yeah, but doesn't she? She still shows up. Oh, yeah, she still does it all, but she's the only one who gets ill during the the travel oh. between lands, which is an interesting detail that I do like um, because it just can't always be easy, right? There always has to be, like, fucking something. Yeah, that'd probably be us. Yeah. <laughs> Nausea, everything. For sure, for sure. So what, so Penny, um, essentially spent like three years in the Netherlands and, um, Alice, and he's like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't take anybody, you know, on and on and on. This is where Alice, Alice is like, Quentin, you have always been the most unbelievable pussy. And she grabs the button. She grabs everybody's hands and pop, pop, pop. I love that part. She was, you know, and she's, she's fuming because this is, moments after she's walked in on and she even like she calls him out on a bunch of shit like look if you were just unhappy why didn't you leave you've always been the biggest like chicken shit here's your moment big guy you were all about fillery existing and i love fillery this and i know fillery that here's your fucking chance i'm making the once again she has to make the choice for him Yep, she has to make the choice for him. He's like, oh, what, you were too drunk to fuck? Like, oh, I, I could- loved, oh, I loved that. You knew what you were doing. Do you, did, okay, do they, are they officially broken up? Because I took that as, this was her moment to be like, we're done. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's what I, that's how I read it as. And I just wanted to make sure because we eventually, and we'll readdress it maybe in a little bit, but she does fuck somebody else. And then Quentin is all like, pissed at the world and now like because they go to fillery they come back and then he's like no we're all going to fillery now and she because he was pissed that he walked in on he heard her having sex then he walked in on the person she had sex with i'm not gonna get to that part right now um and then he's just like mad at the world you were the one not only did you sleep with one person you slept with two people and you're pissed that she moved on well, and it's during this fight, uh, cause they're in the fountains, like they're in the, the Netherlands. Uh, they are just fighting across all of these squares. They're not looking where they're going. They're not marking anything. And that's where Pen- Penny is like, yo, 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 you got knocked that shit off. Where did you come from? Turn around and tell me what fountain you came out of. Where is earth? My guy, bigger picture, bigger things at play here. And that's when Quentin kind of runs with that. And he's like, oh yeah, bigger things, bigger things at play here. (gasps) None of this matters, Alice. Don't you understand? Everything on earth doesn't matter anymore because we're all going to have our new life in Fillory because it's all real. That's what we're going to do. And it's just like, oh my God. Quentin. And this is, again, he's like, this is the frontier. Like, this is, this is where we're, we're all going to like be here. Like, um, you know, all of this, this bad things, like it all led us here. It's like, okay, all right. This is the new thing that Quentin has latched onto, which to be fair is a fantastic, amazing, life shattering, like world altering thing. But Quentin is just like using it to to not deal with anything that Alice is like saying and just saying like none of that matters look at this new adventure but that's consistent that's also consistent with everything 
that Quentin has done. I mean, at this point, we're in like year six because he's already done all five years of under, you know, all five years of break bills because when he wasn't happy with how his life was going um, in Brooklyn, he went to break bills when he wasn't happy with um, how life was at when he was seeing his parents. He, he was he's always escaping whatever is in front of him. Always. And we'll and continue to do that. Yes. yes. <laughs> and we'll we'll continue to do that. My God, my God. Uh, a little bit of rules here. A, a penny is being a tour guide for everybody. Everybody he pops everybody in and out of the Netherlands so that they can all see it. He's created his own directions. All of the buildings are stuffed with books. They're libraries. Of course, if you watch the show, you know, you know. Uh, when you are in the Netherlands, no time passes on Earth. Interesting, interesting. And uh, Quentin is like, "This is it. This is it. This is going to fix us." All right, awesome. So they all then. Move to upstate New York, up to Buffalo, and make plans to go to Fillory. They have discussions about like battle magic and displays of battle magic and like morals and like, you know, what we should do and God. Um, and they end up buying a bunch of stuff like knives and parkas and shit like that because they don't know. They don't know. They're going to a new world. They don't know. I get it. I get it. I appreciate the, the wanting to be prepared. Yeah, I get it, too. And even when they go to the new world and they were like, we need more shit. And then they're like, I'll just go back. And they were like, no, time works differently. We'll be dead. Yeah, we'll be dead or we'll be stuck. Yeah. 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 Oh, my gosh. Uh, Jess, we've alluded to it. We are up to now. Quentin realizing that like he's like, you know what? No, Alice... Me and Alice have like a real thing. Like, Fillory's going to fix us. We should go on this adventure together. Like, you know, she's probably just waiting for me to go up there and tell her like that I figured everything out. Meanwhile, uh, she's getting dicked down by who, Jess? By Penny. Her and Penny have gotten really close, um, mostly because it was just like a lot of academic learnings because they have already gone to Fillory once and there was just and then they came back and they're looking, um, you know, because of the people that they are, they're definitely looking at, at like every single angle of what, you know, basically what can go right, but also what can go very wrong. So they're working on this together, especially because Penny has already gone a couple times now and Alice is familiar with all the experience and with Quentin being, you know, the inflated inflated ego that he has truly believes that he just has to walk in and be like, not even apologize because let's remember he wasn't even going to apologize he was just going to be like i've i i've seen the light and you know it's you it's always been you yeah no 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 absolutely not no um but what this does is men will do everything except go to therapy. So Quentin, <laughs> in anger, destroys Penny's room. And then he uses these feelings to galvanize everybody to be like, no, no, no. Today's the fucking day. We're all going to Fillory today. Everybody get your shit. Say goodbye to everything. We're all going. So they they finally, like, they start their adventure and they all go to Fillory Quentin, he cries, right? Like, they, they make it through the fountain. They get it to the other fountain. They end up in Fillory. Um, Penny goes through to check the weather. It's a six-month time difference. Jess, you said that earlier, the the difference there with the, the supplies. Um, so they, they all of them, they, it's Josh, Anais, Janet, Elliot, Richard, Penny, Quentin, 
and Alice. There's eight of them. Yep. They're all in Fillory, and uh, Quentin is overcome with the need to stay in Fillory. He's like, we have to, we have to find out how Martin did it. We have to stay here. This, this is all I've ever wanted. Uh, my life has been, and this is consistent, right? This is my life's going to start now. I've been waiting for it. You know, he's waiting for f- break bills. He's waiting for, so- he's always waiting for something. Uh, my note says you can be miserable anywhere, anywhere you can be miserable. Um, but, but there's a, uh, who who do we have? We have a dryad. Yeah, they see the dryad, and everyone's like, "What's that?" And they're like, "Have you? Hello? Have you have you not read these books? Have you not read fantasy? That's a dryad." And everyone's like, "Oh, I thought dryads would be sexier or something." Something that they were like objectifying. Group. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, Josh is very much like they'd be hot, like hot fawns, hot this, hot hot that, hot that. All right, all right, Josh, all right. Um, The dryad gives them a horn. So like use your horn when like all is lost. You know, children of earth, this is not your war. Um, And then they hear a ticking sound and they hear the watcher woman. The watcher woman is Jane Chapman. So they hear Jane and they skedaddle out of there. And uh Martin... My note here says, didn't Martin find a horn? And he did. So this is Martin's horn that the dryad gives them that they use to call Martin at the end of the book. Oh, I forgot that it was Martin's horn. So it's always been his like beacon. Yeah, it's always been his because we get that Martin found a horn in some of the fillery exposition that happened earlier in the books. So that's why when they, because you're, you're supposed to use the horn when all hope is lost. So they're thinking the horn is their saving grace. But really, because Little, yeah. like we're not in Fillory just yet, because they see the dryad at the Netherland. It's going into another fountain. No, no. They're this in Fillory. They are yeah. in Fillory. Okay. Because I'm getting confused with the talking bear who's like, this isn't Fillory. And everyone's like, go home, you're drunk. Pretty sure this is Fillory. That, that is, that is exactly next. Um, so, so, Jess, you're absolutely right. So after the Watcher Woman, they go back through the fountain. They go back to Buffalo and they're like, ah, we need more stuff. They go back. And it's fall now, so they don't need any of their shit. So, you know, everybody's getting grumpy. Here it is. The novelty of Fillory was starting to wear off. Jesus, nobody can be happy. Um, Quentin almost gets shot by an arrow from the big praying mantis. Uh, Do you serve the horse? Do you serve the bear? Do you serve the bull? Um, Penny saves him, which just makes Quentin very, like, annoyed. And then then we see Fervil... Our sweet, traitorous little birch tree taking us to our bar. Who do we meet at our bar? The talking bear. Humble drum, our talking bear. And I love that everybody's like, be cool, be cool, be cool. And so Quinn is the one who's just like, so you come around here lately? And Josh is like, you're a talking bear. Josh is the frat boy of the group. There is a Rick and Morty soundbite that I will have Sam insert if we possibly can hear about a whimsical adventure and fun. Oh, wow, Rick, now this is more like it. Look, 
There's little staircase-shaped people in here. All, all kinds of crazy characters. This place is great. You know, it's whimsical and fun. What are you looking at, mother? Easy, Rick. And that's pretty much, and that's pretty much what happens here. Essentially, the group is split on how to handle what is going on. Quentin ends up getting fuck all wasted and talking to Humble Drum the Bear and trying to get like information out of him. Poor guy's not very helpful. And Richard is like, yo, 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 no, we shouldn't be doing this. Like, we are just, we should not be interacting. Um, but then Fervil comes out and Fervil's like, yo, what brings you here, human boy? And everyone's like, the quest has begun. The quest has begun. Little did they know. Little did they know. Little did they know. And what we get from Fervil, though, is a bunch of, like, fillery backstory but they keep saying, like, but we're so far from the capital, which was, like, a huge red flag. <laughs> like, come on. Well, and how about the fact that the whole time in undergrad, and this goes to what you were saying earlier, throughout this book, we kind of understand a little bit how Fillory operates. So how everybody is taking things at face value all of a sudden, we were like, but, like... It's just I'm so curious because Quentin has literally let, read the manual a million times. Like he lives and breathes this series. Why is he acting like a little dum dum? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But what we get is that everybody's fearing the Watcher woman. She wants to slow time. She's lost her wand. She'll find it again. She wants to tear down the boundaries. If she does that, we all die. The animals love it. The clock trees, the little tick, tick, ticking trees. Yeah, very scary. Uh, Ember and Umber, the brother rams, have not been seen for a very long time. And Quentin's like, ooh, here's the adventure. But again, he feels a hollowness. He feels very anticlimactic. But again, Fervil's like, but we need kings and queens. Like, there's laws. Like, we're bound by higher laws. It must be you. And the bartender in the back is just like, we've lived too long. We've lived too long. Kill us, please. We've lived too long. Which is, like, very fun and, you know. But we get our adventure and we get our quest, which is go to Ember's tomb. We're going to give you some guys. So, okay. And you have to take the crown from Ember's Tomb to Castle Whitespire, and then you'll be kings and queens of Fillory. So they have their quest onward and upward. And so they go to the tomb, and they understand the tomb for what it is or what they believe it is, which is just kind of like a place of worship um, for Ember. And there's also like the general questions of like, if this one is for Ember, which one's for Umber, you know, like, because, because of the story that they're aware of, they are, they're basically like siblings who don't go one, go one place without the other. They are just like connected at the hip. So they go to this place of this tomb, this place of worship. And, um, and Ember actually happens to be there. It is not just going to be a statue that they're going to pledge fealty to one way or the other. No, no. And it's a whole fucking thing, too, because because uh, it can't ever be easy, right? It can't ever be easy. So they have like little trials that they have to do within Ember's tomb. And it all it does is to serve that. Quentin is a coward, and he says this, and he will do anything in his power to avoid physical pain and physical injury. So during all of these attacks, like, 
People are releasing their demons from their backs. Like Janet has a gun and she's like shooting people. I love how they didn't expect that from Janet. They just thought that she had froze and then she like waited for an opportune time and she was just like pew 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 to everybody and everybody's looking at her like where the fuck did that come from? And she's like y'all need to get over yourselves. Bye. Yeah, get over it. Like I use the gun. It is what it is because they had the discussion earlier of like Jesus, we're not going to be the guys to like bring guns to Fillory, but like she did it. You know, it's a whole thing. And again, Alice is like screaming at at Quentin like you are in Fillory. You are on the quest. You don't even want this anymore, do you, Quentin? Like uh you wouldn't be happy uh no matter what you did. Like all you do is give up. Like, you're just, stop whining. Like, you're miserable anywhere. You're the asshole that came to Fillory and was sad. I came here, Quentin, to take care of you. And this is, well, this isn't the exact moment because it's when Alice is being a badass and fighting everybody that he's like, that's my girl. Like, she's always, she knows me better than I know myself. Yeah, she's been knowing you better than you know yourself and you still fucked her over and now that she's like this almighty powerful like kick-ass babe that you didn't recognize and you wanted to find better i'm sorry it gets me so heated because you wanted to go find better you thought you did and then you realized what you had when it, no that, that bothers me i hate that yeah, it's well, Quentin's a shitty character. We we know this. We know this. I know. I know that. But that doesn't change my frustration. It's like we're reliving the book all over again. I just... Oh, absolutely. And OK, so what, what do we have to do? We have to get through the banquet hall, which is a bunch of monkeys like throwing balls and stuff. Penny ends up killing the big iron demon man. Uh, one of the guides ends up dying. Uh, Quentin, true to character, runs the fuck away and Elliot has to go get him. And then just like when we did Sleep No More, Jess, suddenly all of us are rounded up in one room. All of the characters are in one room so all of a sudden. And uh, all all of them. Uh, it is nine. One of the guides walks away because the guide was in on it. Um, Ember is there. Ember the god wakes up. He's like a stone statue. He's there. The crown is there. He has a lame leg. It is concluded that Ember has been trapped down there and that he's essentially bait uh, for whoever got that far to claim the crowns. And Quentin is just like, you know what? I'm just going to make this worse. Do, 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 do. Yep, 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 yep. Because at this point, they're not picking up what Ember is putting down. Penny's a little, like, feeding into it. Like, oh, I pet pledge fealty and I do this and I'm not going to rock the boat. And Quentin starts asking, you know, asking his questions of like, so, like, where's Ember? What's going on? What are you doing here? And like you said... He's not liking the answers he's getting, so he toots he toots um the beast's horn, Martin Chatwin, and Ember's like, You couldn't listen to me. Ember's dead. I'm bait. I was trying to help y'all get the fuck out of here. Why did you do that? <laughs> Yeah, Fillory is not a theme park for you to come and play in. Oh, child, do you know what you've done? You came here to save us. How can you? You cannot even save yourself. And then it's bum, 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 bum. The beast arrives. Uh, and the beast 
is, of course, Martin Chatwin. He takes away his branch. It's Martin Chatwin. He is described as very, like, animalistic. Like, he has lost a huge part of his humanity to stay in Fillory. And he is able to smack aside Ember like he wasn't even there. And he has this, this like... um the saying of like, that's the thing with old gods. Like you think they're really strong, but they're not. They're just like regular people. They're just older. Smack. And he just smacks them away. I feel like sometimes when the villain isn't like this angry thing, but is like, I mean, and I don't, and I don't want to say villain because now I'm thinking of how Elijah is in Vampire Diaries where he's in his suit and he's so calm and, you know, calm and like soft spoken but like his message is delivered sometimes that's more terrifying and that's how the beast who is the actual villain in this story um comes across and that's more intimidating than if he was just like fee fi foo from yeah he's very scary he says like you know your guides were in on it farvo was in on it this is my world i've been waiting for you i've been waiting for you and he, because he thought that this was like a vendetta from what he did at Breakbills. And everybody else is like, yo, yo, we were on an adventure, my yeah, guy. That had nothing to do with break. <laughs> we just, we found out Fillory was real. I just wanted to come here. <laughs> yeah, he's so, like, who the fuck are you? Like, we don't want this. And I think this is a good point to bring up is that he can't be because he sacrificed a part of his soul we knew before this moment that the kings and queens of fillory could have king queen high king high queen um had to be from children of earth the earth children and because martin slash the beast has been in fillory for so long um he had to sacrifice like that humanity part of him. He is no con- no longer considered uh, a child of Earth. Uh, Martin Chatwin likes to talk a little bit, right? So he's talking about uh, he's collecting all of the buttons. So he knows that they have a button and that's what he wants. He's demanding the button and everyone's like, hey, why do you want it? Why do you want it? Why do you want it? Um, he's saying the Watcher Woman has a button and he's going to get on that as soon as he deals with all of them. He ends up attacking Quentin and like bites his shoulder and his cotton bones or his collarbones and everything. He eats Penny's hands, which is a very terrifying, terrifying terrifying moment he eats penny's hands um alice shoots shoots him with the gun um but she doesn't do a lot of damage there and then just as you alluded to earlier commences the magical battle between the beast and alice yes and then and at this point we can refer back to earlier in the book and this episode where we know that the importance of fighting or using magic when you are highly emotional, um, you kind of don't know where it's going to go, what's going to happen. You don't really have a lot of control. This also ties into the story of knowing how her brother uh, kind of tapped into his emotions to um, try to help Emma Greenstreet, Emily Greenstreet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Emma Greenstreet. Um, and now and in this moment is also when Quentin says that Alice is tapping into all of her hurt, all of her rage, everything that he put her through, kind of like her also personal emotional turmoil of just like being the person she is and maybe like the parents that she's had, just like everything within all of her emotions that she's 100% 
compartmentalized her entire life is fueling her magic in this moment to kill the beast and turn herself into a nephin. And turn herself into a Niffin. And she does. She has an epic battle. There's a lot of like pew, pew, pew with spells and everything. Quentin had never loved her more. Um, You know, everyone says, and then she starts working a big spell and everyone says, don't do it. Don't do it. Quentin is severely injured. I do think it's fair to point out at this point, like he, he could not physically help her even if he wanted to. Like he's, he is out. He, he is dying at this point, like bleeding out, dying. And uh, so he does see Alice like get consumed by the blue fire. She says like, I'm burning Q. I'm burning. I didn't think I'd burn. Um, But she does rip the head off Martin, um, the beast. And, and Ember says like, you've won. Like you've won after that. Like after, um, you know, Alice is dead. Quentin is bleeding out. And Martin is dead. Penny's hands have been bitten off. Elliot ends up kicking the crown because, like, the dream of Fillory has been, like, cracked, right? Like, it is dead now. And then we we flash forward six months. We're on the backslide of this. We're almost done. Uh, we flash forward six months, and Quentin wakes up in the Centaur Monastery. And we basically just have um, a really nice montage of him finding out that he has been there Everything that was hurt has been replaced by wood that the group stayed with him for two months and then left him there. But like they didn't they didn't know what to do. And then he gets a letter. He finds a letter from Elliot that explains what had happened to him. And that's where Elliot says, like, you know, I didn't think I needed a family. It turns out I needed you. And um, Quentin is essentially, though, like stuck, stuck there. Like he can't. Like, he can't get back to the real world. He's stuck in Villery, um, at, at, in this monastery. And this is where I said it earlier. This is the second time where Quentin uses this isolation to the, um, fullest. And he really works through all of his magic and he becomes like an adept. He becomes a master at magic. He's able to do things uh, that he wasn't able to do before. And it's also during this time that Quentin and Jane are reunited. And this is the meeting where we have the discussion about time and rewinding time and how many times this scenario has played out and been taken back and reset with different variables and cast again. Which I also think is an, is so interesting because he's like, look, I keep meeting you. And th- it's during this interaction, she's like, this isn't the first time we've had this conversation. Um, but this is the first time that this is the best outcome that I'm not going back. You don't think I've tried every other. I mean, it's almost like Dr. Strange and Endgame where he's like, I've gone through every single possibility. There is only one way this is going to net out. Yeah, there's only one. I've tried this thousands of times. You know, um, you're the you're you and your friends are the only one to ever do it. I'm sticking with this. She shatters the watch so it can never be fixed. Uh, so time can never be rewound and the outcome can never be done. It is here where it's alluded to, like, maybe this is why Julia didn't get in. Maybe this is why James didn't get in, like the kind of different factors. So interesting, interesting things here. Um I have here, we have the questing beast 
Quentin is starting to, after he's like explored his magic and he's mastered everything, he's really starting to lose his purpose again. He's lost his purpose. Uh, so he finds it, the questing beast shows himself to him. I took this as Fillory being sick of his shit. <laughs> Fillory being like, get out of here. I'm giving you an out. Get out. And he does. They probably were, honestly, in fairness, they probably were. You know those centaurs, like, yeah, the centaur monastery, but, like, it was also a hospital. They were the only ones who could heal him in Fillory. Yeah, so they were just like, oh, my God. Uh, So the questing beast shows up. Uh, It takes, like, five, six weeks to track down the questing beast. Quentin uh, finally gets them. He shoots them. Right. And he's like, I finally did the thing that even the Chatwins couldn't do. And he has no pleasure. He is completely empty inside. He's just dead and hollow. And the questing beast just is like sitting there just like, what the fuck you want, my guy? What do you want? You get wishes. You get three wishes. And his wishes are shit. And the questing beast is like, all those are shit. I'm going to count those as one. Uh, well, they are. Sh- and, you know, I know we've talked about in this episode of like what some of our wishes would be and how specific you have to be with your wishes. So when he's like, there was a point in my life where all I would have wished for is just to go to Fillory. And now he's like, now I want nothing to do with Fillory. And it's like, good. Fillory wants nothing to do with you right now, Quinn. And um, but he goes, I want to go home. And he realized after he made that wish, he's like, I don't even know where that is. I don't know where this thing is going to fucking send me. Because I don't have a home. I'm not at Breakville's. I don't have a home in Brooklyn. I don't consider home New York. I was not specific enough. They basically just like dropped him on the street somewhere in New York. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, damn, I've been gone two years. How am I going to explain this? He was gone two years. And Quentin is just like, well, a magician, I'm going to live it up. So he, you know, he does the ATM, he gets the money, he treats himself kind of like a little, little sweet baby. And he ends up running into Anise. And that's where he gets the story of like, there was a shark in the stones, Quentin. That's how we got you out. That explains your knee. Like Richard was there. Richard made us invisible. Uh, Penny survived and he like gave himself to the library inside the netherlands um and it is here where quentin is just like oh okay well like she's here so like everybody else must be here too i don't really want to see her again it's this it's this weird thing that we all did together like she seems okay with it and i i i think i'm gonna take up fog on a nice cushy desk job and he turns the key in his pocket and he goes back to uh break bills and he gets set up with a nice office job sounds super boring though oh he's absolutely bored everybody and he knows it because he's like oh i looked at my outlook calendar looks like there's a meeting i get i'm 30 minutes late but i guess i'll just happen to join and it's there at this meeting that he sees emma green street and he doesn't know it's her initially he's like but she's one of us like i those hands are specific type of hands and she reaches out to him first like hey chicken shit like why are we postponing the inevitable and that's when they were like i knew you were one of us but he didn't know who it was they have a long like corporate executive lunch put it on the company card um and then she's like you want to go back to my place and he's like "Mm, even though i haven't had sex in a very very long time no like why why again why is this the exposition but okay yeah, it, it it is funny. It is funny. I do like what Emily says, though, um, because Emily is very much like anti-magic at this point. She's like, living out childhood fantasies as an adult does nothing but court disaster. 
because like nothing can live up to the expectations that you have as a childhood fantasy. And that is a very interesting take on all of this. How how would you process that? Because we're adults and we're still really much vying for those fantasy worlds. I don't know because there is a huge part of that as like nothing could ever live up to the childhood. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, there's, there's something to be said. Yeah. It's almost like an extreme version of never meet your idols. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we are almost done. We are almost done. Uh, Emily also says, like, all evil comes from magic. And Quentin's like, it's blaming magic for all evil is not exactly right, Emily. Dun-dun-dun, one month later. Uh, one month later, uh, in comes a, a um, Welter's Rock through Quentin's office and shatters the window. Who 30 is stories floating? Up. Yeah, who's 30 who's floating out there? Up. We got Elliot, we got Janet, and Julia has joined the pack. Julia has joined the pack. Janet has uh, violet eyes and is trailing silver stars. Elliot is wearing the crown of Fillory and has wings. And Julia has arms that are like wrapped in silk. And they say, hey, we're going back to Fillory. We need a king. Uh... We can find your discipline, right? Like Josh is in. Josh is determined to find Middle Earth, which I like, love that they were like that. Josh was like, "Look, if Fillory is real, you know how he was like the biggest Lord of the Rings fan, where he was like, I bet you Middle Earth is real.' And it, like that would be where my mind is too. Like y'all have fun. I'm gonna check these other places out. I've been yep. wanting for be like, it's out here. I know it's out here. I'll get it. I'll find it. I'll find it. I'll find it. Uh, but here, again, Quentin is latching on to another thing, right? This is, again, another thing that will save him from from the, the hollowness, the emptiness, all of these feelings. Um, let's go back to Fillory. You've done your time, Quentin. You're forgiven. Like, all is well. And then Quentin says, like, he loosened his tie and he did something that he hadn't done in a long time. He flew. So that is, again, to Mayakovsky, when a magician wants to fly, he simply flies. This is, this is again, Quentin has become a top tier magician. He simply flies. And that's the end. Yes, it's the end. But from a realistic point of view, that man jumped out of his window. So essentially, he's going to have this whole piece in the news that a man jumped out of his window. He, this was this person. Here's his whole like obituary. And he really can't come back to, to work now whereas he had a little like oh i was gone for two years no now you bet you gotta stay gone we will see we will see that's right i haven't read the other books (laughs) perhaps we'll cover book two and and see and see how things go uh so we were we are going to talk about uh the author a little bit and the writing style before we do that though before we do that though um I did not ask a question. I'm circling all the way back to the beginning of the episode in the panel of the magicians when we went, Jess. But uh, the question that I was going to ask if I had the balls to ask one was, would they stay faithful to the physical changes that the characters went through throughout the series? Being Quentin's hair, uh, specific things that happened to Julia and Penny's hands. The answer to that would be like, meh. Uh, So, you know. Yeah. But it, cause did it happen to Penny? No. Did it? It's been so the long. The hands? 
Yeah, I have not. I've never done a rewatch of season one. Yep, 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 yep. So it is. It is just. It is just interesting. It is one of those things because um, Quentin's hair does go white at the end of this, and it is a very specific uh, character, um, you know, trait that he has, and it is something that I would have asked. But let's talk about the author, Jess. You have issues. I mean, I have a lot of issues. I and I think this is important. Like. I was trying to think we've discussed on it's typically like the episodes where we discover where we chat on movies where it was like it's a different time. It was the 90s. Different language was being used then. Not that it was OK then, but it's definitely not OK. You know, when you, you wonder if like certain films hold up and you're like, this would not hold up at all. Um, but the same thing happens in this book where there's like where the author writes lines like, well, she like, like Quentin was specifically talking about Alice we're like well she hits like a girl um Alice would never wear that because she doesn't have the body um there's the use of hard r just casually in this book there is like referencing somebody's hyper somebody when you're hyper focused on something they were just saying like oh they hyper focus it on it like somebody who has autism like it was just very uncomfortable for me to read um and not just read like i just don't think it was okay for it to be written like that um and also then when you realize this book was published in 2009 i'm like so it's not like it's that far off that you shouldn't have known better or even when they were referencing um different indigenous tribes they said uh, he referenced it as indians and i just and that's the author referencing this in 2009 and i feel like in 2009 we've already made um improvement in the or i hope at least you know that we've made improvement of the language and how we're referring to anybody um and what's being written and that's just doesn't come across in this book but then laura you brought up a point to me too i brought up that the sports teams that are Native American uh, named have only recently just been changed into something that wasn't horrifically offensive. And they have been called those names for a very long time. And these sports are, I'm just saying, this is a fact, dominated by men. So I am not excusing any of this. All of this is terrible. I am saying that there is a perspective that we are not used to or aware of or want to be in or want to be anywhere near. It's just not something that we're around or want to be around. It is, however, there. And it is something that we should be aware of. And as the first like male author that we're covering on this podcast, I do think it's important to say that like we have these issues that were that are there in this book. And is it because he's a guy? Like I mean, there's probably some, like, part of it, obviously, the way the the ladies are written. However, that is not to say that women can't also write poorly. No, I agree. Because, I mean, we'd bring up those issues if a different author. I mean, we have brought up those issues when it was different writers and directors who have integrated that into the language of their, sh- uh, of like the projects that they've worked on. Um, and we highlight it then when we notice it too. So exactly consistent. <laughs> so all that being said, um, also, of course, do your own research. Um, and I, I also do think that 
with the show, from my recollection, they have made those change, like those necessary changes. Absolutely. The show uh, is drastically different in dialogue from the book. It is it is uh, faster. It is quippier. It is much more rooted in uh, like pop culture references, deeply rooted in pop culture references. And it is um, just lovely and wonderful and fantastic. All that being said, thanks for joining us this episode. Feel free to follow us on Instagram. We're at Akafe Podcast. We're also both on TikTok, Akafe Laura and Akafe Jessica. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll talk to you all soon. Bye. Bye.